Welcome to Leading with Curiosity. Command and control leadership is dead. We interview leaders, entrepreneurs, and executive coaches challenging old paradigms and fostering cutting-edge leadership. Here's your host, certified executive coach, Nate Leslie. Hey, curious listeners. Leadership is a performance art. The people we lead haven't arrived until their voice is in the room. We need the people that we lead to be the protagonist in the story. These are just a couple of the mind-expanding, brain-exploding, easy-to-grasp, not-commonly-implemented ideas that today's guest, Alan Hunkins, shares with our listeners. Alan has worked with companies like Walmart, Pfizer, Citigroup, GE, State Farm Insurance, IBM, Microsoft. Um, grew up in New York City, so we had some, some good laughs about that in our pre-interview and my time in New York. Uh, a really humble and articulate and passionate leadership development facilitator and coach. Uh, by facilitator, he means the root word Latin is facile, like in French, easy. In leadership, helping people make things easier, easier to understand, easier to accomplish. Those are some of our obligations as leaders. You've heard this before from me. I know I'm going to have him on again. I need to because we were just scratching the surface. And a thank you to Todd Churches from NYU. And to previous guest, Rob Salafia at MIT, two people that have led me in this path to connect with Alain today. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Alain, welcome to Leading with Curiosity. Thanks so much, Nate. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Hey, you know what? We were in our little pre-interview and I said, hang on a second. We got to just start recording right now because you started to describe your journey from performing arts and how that has influenced what you're doing now. Could you please explain to our listeners that journey that, that you embarked on from performing arts days? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And obviously you know, we, we always catch these great moments in pre-interview. Hopefully I'll do it justice. Now <laughs> yeah. Recording. So, yeah, so I grew up actually in the child. My father's family are all professional musicians. When I say professional, like orchestral level, you know, Berlin Philharmonic, Cleveland Orchestra, Dallas Symphony. We're talking top level, oh, wow. top level people. Yeah. And um, so I played the violin. I started when I was five years old and I ended up going to the high school of music and art in New York City. And very somewhere along the way, because maybe because I had the family, um, I went, I don't want to practice eight hours a day. I don't, I, I don't want to be a professional musician. And I knew that by the time I got to college. However, when I got to college, I auditioned for a play. It was actually Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. I got cast as Orsino, if you know the play, which is a major role. And I got bit by the theater bug, which I hadn't done since I was in the sixth grade. And I really loved it. And then I ended up going on to graduate school, got an MFA from a professional theater acting con con training conservatory, three years, very intensive. And as I went through that, I, you know, I was always this idealist. And I had mentioned that, you know, when I was an undergrad, I was a psych minor for a lot of, a lot yeah. of years. And my interest in theater and psychology are really connected because I really think that 
for all of us, whether or not you identify as a leader or not, which by the way, I think we're all leaders because we have to influence ourselves if no one else every day. Leadership is a performing art. And what I mean by that is everything boils down to something that we either say or do. That behavior is the fruit of all the thinking and the mindset behind that. And the other thing is, if you think about it, going back to acting, is that we all play roles every day. And that, for example, how I show up with my two teenage kids, I play the role of dad. Whereas with my wife, I play the role of husband. With my mom, I play the role of son. And, you know, and I may not do it consciously, but there are shifts. The way in which I listen to different people, the way I respond to different people, um, the way I will act around them. So these are things for us all to consider. And I think what great leaders start to do in any endeavor is they start to be aware of their role more intentionally, right? Mm -hmm. So I think lousy leaders lead by default where great leaders lead by design. So what can I do? So how am I be the best dad in the world? How do I show up? So what are things that I would think the best dad does? What do I think the best husband does or the best assistant manager at you know Walmart does? Like if that's my role, whatever it might be. And starting to realize, okay, so who can I learn from? Because I'm not the first person in the world who's done stuff like this. So mm. as they say, success leaves clues. So where are the clues? What can I learn? And how can I apply these lessons and integrate them and have them become habits of who I am and how I show up? And ultimately, if you think about going back to performing arts, when you pay money to go to see a ballet or a musical or a rock concert, what are you really paying for? You are paying to be transported on a journey that is completely engaging from the moment the lights go down, the curtain opens until you're out in the parking lot and you just want to be completely engaged in that. And if that is the bar that performing arts give us, wouldn't it be great if our, let's say, our business leaders could start to get maybe a little bit less boring and a little bit more like that? Because in some ways we live in this age of entertainment with, with a cell phone in your pocket. You can, you can engage with content constantly that knows how to suck you in and, and keep you involved and engaged. So I think there's a lot that we can all learn from the performing arts in terms of how we can become better leaders. I'm writing, if people are listening to this, you know, they don't know this. If, you're, if they're watching on YouTube, I'm just, I'm just scribbling as we go. And this idea of leadership is a performance, performance art. Uh, I think it has already, uh, we've found the title of the episode perhaps. And I love where that's taking us. I've also noticed, I have a hunch that you connect well to different people in the audience because you, in the pre-interview, you asked me a baseball analogy. You've mentioned ballet, Shakespeare, rock concert. Um, this idea of as leaders being able to connect, not with people like us, but being able to connect with the people we lead in a way that's meaningful for them. And I can already see that coming through in your description of that. Uh, what comes up for you when I kind of shine a light on that? Yeah, when you shine a light on that, what it shows me, you know, is that one of the great personality traits is openness to experience, right? And how important that is, I think, for anyone who wants to be able to connect. And I don't really care 
what industry that we work in, whether you think of yourself, I know I work in high tech or I work in pharmaceuticals, I work in manufacturing. At the end of the day, we all work with human beings. Yeah. And so being open to other people's experience of what's important to you, what is life like, you know, right now we're celebrating Diwali in, in you know, the Hindu religion. And I'll be like, happy to like, do you know like, what's going on? Like, there's a whole world of people who are not like 7 billion people or eight. I don't even know how many billion we have on the planet now, but a lot of them are doing different stuff than you and I are doing. And yeah. you and I are doing different stuff. And like, you talk to me about like, I'd love to know what's it like getting up at five in the morning to be on an ice rink. Cause I know that's what everyone seems to have to do to be able to get on the ice rink. And, and that whole world of the discipline of being a professional athlete, like, I don't really know what that's like, but I'd love to learn. And so I think, you know, in 2021 and beyond, one of the most valuable skills that any of us can have is continuous learning. Like, will you continue to learn how to learn? Because everything else is going to become automated, outsourced and obsolete pretty quickly. And so there'll be an algorithm or an app for it. So what is the differential human factor? It's learning how to learn. And I think great leaders, it's again, it's getting, and I know we'll get into this more, but getting out of this idea of, oh, I'm in charge. I need to know everything. This is not the world that we live in anymore. Now it's, I'm the leader. Wow, that means there's a whole lot of information that's living in different places. And my role is to facilitate moving information from where it is to where it needs to be so we can take that information, turn it into insight, apply it as wisdom to create some kind of result, which is a very different mindset than leaders had even 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, what comes up for me as you talk about this idea of being open to experience. Yeah, you know, our, our tagline, command and control leadership is dead and leading with curiosity. You said, I don't know about that thing you're into, but I would like to learn. You're the right kind of guest for this show. Uh, your facilitative mindset, when you, when you and I connected, you thought, yeah, that like this idea of a, a, a chief facilitative or a facilitative officer go there go there yeah. that, that idea that we are not in charge so just expand on on, on where sure. you are so i love the you know i for years i called myself a facilitator i started off facilitating training programs and if you look at the etymology the, the origins of where the word facilitate comes from the root of it is facile from either the, mm-hmm. you know, the latin the root it's a latin means easy so yeah. facilitators make things easier and I think, you know, we live in a world with increasing levels of complexity, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's heard the acronym VUCA, volatile, mm-hmm. uncertain, complex, ambiguous. So we live in this very complex world. And what we want is for leaders, again, leaders, anyone who can help influence things, to make things a little easier for us. Mm-hmm. So what can you do to make maybe reduce some of my stress or maybe save me some time? You know, that we all have these internal pain points and what leaders can do is they can help facilitate make things easier for people um, because we have all these technological tools at our disposal however if we don't use the tools in the right way we end up becoming enslaved to the tools you know like Mm -hmm. (laughs) i've talked to so many people who feel like they spend their days as human email processing machines or human, I sit in meeting after meeting after meeting. I mean, those are the two big time sucks in most organizations are meetings and emails. And what if, you know, technology, you know, it's a great servant, but it's a lousy master. (laughs) And so we, I think, have to embrace as the facilitators in chief is recognizing that 
you're leading humans. And so what can you do for humans to be able to perform at their best? And what I found in my research, and I write about this in my book, is that ultimately, I think there's three meta skills that great facilitative leaders have, which is the skill of connection. So what are you doing to build real, genuine, high trust relationships with other people? Then there's communication. What are you doing to make sure that we are walking away with shared understanding? And then there's collaboration. So what are you doing to design an environment where others can show up fully as themselves and do their best work, not just for today, but for the long term in a human sustainable kind of way? So again, to recap, that's connection, communication, collaboration. Those are the foundational skills of a facilitative leader and the building blocks of the leadership cracking the leadership code your your latest book yeah yeah exactly those are the three and i and by the way i didn't just sit down and write those things like oh those are all rhyming cute things you put on a cocktail napkin these three c's actually came out of me working again 25 years 22 years in the field at the time where i'd work with literally you know 10 to 15 different teams a month. So I was on the road. I was a road warrior traveling, doing leadership training, management training. And I would start listening and hearing stories and see patterns emerge. And in 2011, I always wanted to write. And I had a a friend and I didn't write. He said, well, he's a writing coach. He said, my words of wisdom for you, writers write. I said, thank you for the wisdom. (laughs) He said, if you, I said, I want to write a book. He said, why don't you start with a blog? He said, can you commit to writing 300 words a week? I'm like, yeah, I think I can do that. So I started writing a blog once a week. And so I did not miss a week for five years, right? right? So five years later, I've got over 250 blog posts and I started reviewing, going through all of them. And I'll tell you, some of the early ones were rubbish. I mean, they're really not very good. But all of which to say is what I did is reviewing 500 posts, most of which were all based in stories, because how do we learn? Like, here's an example. Here's a story. So I take the story. What's the principle? And turn that into a quick little blog post. So I reviewed all these 500 blog posts and I went, what are the major overarching themes? And what I found was they got bucketed into three categories, connection, communication and collaboration. So these three meta skills didn't weren't something I sat down and thought of, they actually emerged from the literature of what were the biggest themes that I kept seeing time and time again. So that's where this all comes from. The common threads that come up with other guests and the work that I'm doing, I mentioned in our pre-interview is something that really inspires me to keep having people on. And as you mentioned, those three, I'm reminded of the work I do uh, certified to do with the Supporting Lines Institute, where we measure high performance culture. And the assessment is very related to psychological safety and workplace engagement and high performance. So are we achieving more goals than we otherwise would have? And am I having a positive human experience at work while I do it? And the buckets that the measurement tool uh, divides the data up into is helping helping teams align helping teams collaborate and helping individuals grow as people and in their profession. And those themes are just coming up in the descriptions of, of your connection, communication and collaboration for me. And, and as it did in your TEDx talk and you just, that, that simplifying, I, I felt it when I was watching it doing research for this interview, this idea of facile of, of simplifying large concepts for humans to enhance the capabilities of those they work with on a day-to-day basis. 
is at the crux of it. Uh, no longer is it subject matter expert, right? When Bill Gates said, hey, I could no longer program for Microsoft, who I believe has been a client of yours, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and um, you know, a hundred years ago, a shoemaker was really good at making shoes. So he became, or she became the shoe, probably he, unfortunately, became yeah. the, the manager of the shoe factory. And then one day the CEO and knew what everyone on the, on the shoemaking floor needed to do. Those days are gone in this environment of technology and flow of information. And so if the leader is no longer the gatekeeper of the information and mothers and fathers are no longer the gatekeepers of information of their own children, it's helping people navigate that information in a way that's meaningful and inspiring and efficient and effective. Yeah, yeah, totally different, right? It's a totally different mindset than I know it's certainly the way I was raised. And it's also very exciting, you know, it's very exciting because, you know, again, the idea that we have, for, you know, and how many of us do this like, oh, I don't know what the answer to that is. Google it, look it up on YouTube. I mean, the fact that we have access to subject matter expertise everywhere yeah. today, and that can help you do so many things. And, and in some ways that has removed the barriers of entry. Like, for example, if you want to start your own business today, I mean, what kind of capital operating costs do you, it depends, you know, depending on what it is, you know, with a internet and a laptop, you're kind of good to go to do a lot of stuff. It's a lot of things you can do. And so on one hand, it removes the burden of the leader needing to have the answers because people can just Google it. Yeah. Simply speaking. But on the other hand, it's the burden that leaders carry thinking they need to have the answers for every challenge that their people face Yeah, to generalize, right? Yeah. But I think you probably find this too, you know, as a certified coach and, and, you know, when you went through coach training, as did I, you know, seeing beginner coaches kind of get stuck in that deer in the headlights paralysis moment, because as the client is speaking up about something, the sense of, I need to have the answers. Like, what if you don't need to have it? Like, what if I can just show up and be totally present, not knowing oh. and not needing to know, but just listening and then reflecting back with good questions and helping people to discover their own answers. You just gave me my bi- bi-monthly or bi- bi-weekly relief of, yes, that's what I love about this is letting go of needing to have the answers. And of course, we're better fathers and husbands, uh, hopefully, because of it as well. No, I, I know it's really impacted uh, things around our house. My wife has gone out. She runs her own business, but has gone out and done coach training, too, because she's like, that thing you're doing is useful, uh, you know, and, and it has really transformed the way she's trying to lead uh, her teams as well. Fantastic. It's, um, it's that weight that, that leaders carry. I've spoken to people who have dabbled, you know, just done kind of the first little bit in a coach training course and say, mm, you know, I just love helping people. I don't think I could be a coach. <laughs> you know? And and then they take the the, the 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 weight of the world on their shoulders as they try to as they try to solve. And by helping people, I mean, solve their problems. I love to fix yeah. things. Sorry. Yeah. And then they just get the weight of the world on their shoulders. Right. It's uh, yeah. it's the biggest liberation of ego. Uh, and expectation on myself, even in my previous world and ongoing world in sport development of, I used to 
think I need to have the answer as the subject matter expert at the front of the room or at the, on the center of the ice. Yeah. Forgetting totally oblivious as a young coach, hockey coach doing that, that those volunteers that might have less hockey experience than me. Oh my gosh. I've learned years later that they led hundreds of people in large organizations and had so much to give that I didn't give them credit for because I was, uh, blind to the idea of simply asking what value do you bring you know yeah when i look at your bio and clients include walmart pfizer city uh, city group ge state farm ibm gm microsoft my god those are some large organizations can you can you give us a peek behind the curtain of alain hunkins going into one of those opportunities, knowing the vast amounts of internal training programs and experience that some of those leaders have, but that the value of holding space for them to talk about their challenges uh, can still yeah. have. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because now first, you know, when I first got into this whole field, you know, and I was starting to do business consulting, I had very little business experience and probably just a little bit more consulting experience, not much. And I remember really feeling a little intimidated, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be consulting at the time with vice presidents and, you know, directors, gosh, a CEO uh, or whatever. Um, And this was like before some of the, you know, they didn't let me loose with like the CEO of Microsoft or anything like that at the time, but still I was intimidated. And I had a, uh, I had a great mentor named Sue and Sue said, I'm like, don't worry about being some kind of a a know-it-all, which kind of harkens back to our earlier conversation. In fact, all you really have to focus on is being a learn-it-all. So you want to be the most curious person in the room. And so what she did is she gave me, she worked with me to create a fairly boilerplate generic list of starter questions that I could use in a conversation. And I learned later those, you could call them coaching questions. So things like, what's the biggest challenge your team faces? And then she said, and the key thing is after you ask the question, you need to shut up and really listen. Mm-hmm. That's that's the part that a lot of people forget. <laughs> yeah, like you know, it's like you have to just listen and not try to one-upmanship and like because he said these leaders they're all really smart. They know their business, but if you just ask them questions, they will unlock the keys to the castle for you. And that's what I found. And not only would I get great information, but I started building relationships with them because how many of us really listen to somebody else. It's funny. I was just, before we recorded, I was coaching an executive in an, in an uh, aviation company that I've been coaching for a while. And he's just working to institute. He's, his team has grown. He had 10 people. He's now got 25. And he's trying to figure out how to grow the team. And, and in terms of building the, the rapport, and we talked earlier last month about doing more intentional one-on-one meetings. And, and so he started doing it. How they're, they're going great. So I asked him, what's been going great about them? Well, people are appreciative. What are you doing? So and he got to this place where he said, I think it just comes down to just being present. Like that's what it is. And I went, <laughs> could you take the just out of that sentence? Because it's actually really hard to do for so many people. And it goes back to what you said before, Nate, about ego or control or power. It's like we have to be able to go into these things with letting go of that stuff. So for me, it was recognizing that, yes, you might be an executive vice president at Microsoft or GE or GM or something, but ultimately you're a human being and your team has got challenge. Now again, I wasn't consulting with 
38,000 people all at the same time, right? I was working with a department or this. I mean, granted, sometimes I would do a conference for 2,000 high potentials, which is still, but then then it's just asking a lot of questions of a lot of different stakeholders to to realize what is the appropriate level to communicate to 2,000 people. But for the most part, everyone's trying to get something done, whether that's the executive vice president of Microsoft or it's you and running your own one solopreneur business. And everyone's got challenges. And then you try to understand what those challenges are, how they see them, help them to ultimately clarify what the problems are, because people sometimes think they know what the challenges are, but what they think and what it is, maybe two different things. Help them to clarify Mm -hmm. that. Then help them generate a bunch of ideas on how to solve those challenges. Maybe introduce some tools, which is less coaching and more mentoring, like, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? And then from all of that, allowing them to go, well, you've just named A, B, C, D, E, F. I think I like B and E a lot. Great. So combine it. And what are you going to do? Again, this is like the coaching process of going through clarifying. Ultimately, it's creative problem solving. And that that's what I found was ultimately having this attitude of curiosity and a heart for service goes a long way in this world. Like if you're really, truly there to serve Mm. and you don't really care about how, what people think about you or what you think about them and are curious, you'll do pretty well. I have about three themes and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try to zero in based on your last description. Number one is for the listeners who weren't quite sure what coaching is. Thank you for giving us that practical example, whether it's a small team or an individual on that process. Sometimes I tell friends what I'm up to and, you know, they think there's some sort of inspirational speech in there somewhere. Thank you for that very easy to understand uh, facilitated (laughs) description of the coaching process. Uh, Number two, in your TEDx talk, you talk about the number one thing that people, that, that determines success in the work environment in terms of profit, profitability and people staying staying around and having a positive human experience is the relationship with their direct supervisor. Our data through supporting lines also shows, and here's where I'm going with this, a really effective one-on-one where you show up as a development conversation and not try to be just present, but try to be present is the number one thing that can move the needle on so much about performance. So again, these dots connecting uh, in what you've just said, what you've said in the past and what I've been learning. Number three, I'd love to hear back from you. That coaching moment in a small group where you're holding that exact space, starting with what's the biggest challenge you as a team are facing, for people who are trying to lead better meetings, lead better team coaching versus bullet point agenda, update, go back to work. What one awakening did you have through your decades of experience where holding that space for more than one person makes it a really effective session? Sure. So I'm gonna share a tip that I learned. So I can't remember who talked to me or how I learned it, but I think it's very true, which is people haven't arrived until their voice is in the room. 
Oh. What I mean by that is so often people show up to meetings as passive consumers of the meeting. I'm here, we're, you're, it's your meeting, you're leading it. You're going to tell me what, I'm going to sit here and I'll nod my head, yes. Whether I do anything about it, we'll see, but I'll nod my head right yes, and then I'll leave and we'll see what goes on. As opposed to how do I get everyone? So if you're leading a small group meeting, or let's say eight people, what am I doing? If I'm leading the meeting, what am I doing to make sure that I hear from every single one of those people in that meeting and getting their input on something somehow? And if I'm not, why are we having a meeting, right? How many of us have seen the, the, the meme no, I survived another meeting that should have been an email, right? Like if you, all you're doing is giving out information, there are a lot more expedient ways to do it than to meet. Let's say you're working with 50 people. It might not make a lot of practical sense for you to be able to go around and hear from 50 people. However, and you can do this on Zoom, you could do it if you're in Zoom, great. So we have this issue. Let's go into breakout rooms and we're going to get into rooms of four. We're going to have, you know, 12 rooms of four. And please pick a spokesperson and share your biggest takeaway from this question. Like give it a provocative question, let them go, give them five minutes, come back, have a spokesperson, whatever it is. Now in those small rooms, they've gotten a chance to talk. They've shown up, they've, been, they've seen and they've been seen by other people. It's so important that you create, that's what starts to engage people. Again, going back to the performing arts, right? that you don't want people to be this, these passive bored spectators. You want them ideally to be protagonists in the story. And so the more that you can create ownership, the more that you can have people create engagement and dare I say fun, right? This can all be fun. There are ways to do this that's playful and people actually get better work done and they perform better and they feel better. So I'd say start by looking at what am I as a leader doing to make sure that other people's voices are being heard. And we haven't even touched on how that plays into the whole issue of equity, inclusion, and diversity. Perfect, right here. That's for the next time you come on this show, perhaps, because we've come full circle. I'm scrambling my notes again. People haven't arrived until their voice is in the room. And there's that one person in the room who's you're gonna have to work a little harder and it comes back to my very first observation of your baseball, rock, ballet, Shakespeare. What is it that we can do facilitating that opportunity? Where do we need to go to bring that voice into the room? Just because it's baseball for you doesn't mean it's baseball for that person, right? And that, so making that human connection heard, I think for me, as I head into a bunch of teamwork in the next couple of weeks with some groups, that's really going to be top of mind. And I'm so glad I asked you to expand on that. And I know there's someone thinking my next meeting is going to be way better because I listened to this conversation between Ellen and Nate. And uh, I'm just really grateful to have the chance that you took the chance to, to meet with me and um, yeah, maybe our, letting our listeners know where they might be able to, uh, join the thousands or hundred thousand people following you uh, and and your book. What would you like to share? Yeah, sure. So if you're interested in learning more about me and my work, um, easiest place to go, a couple places. Uh, one is my website, which is www.alainhunkins.com. I'll spell it out. It's A-L-A-I-N-H-U-N-K-I-N-S.com. While you're there, you can download the first chapter of my book, Cracking the Leadership Code. There's also an ebook called Navigating Trust. You can download and also just 
check out all the kind of various programs I have. I have these open enrollment 30-day leadership challenges that go on periodically. And also feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. That's where I do have 110,000 followers right now. And uh, yeah, if I can be of support to anyone, if you've listened this far as long, you're also now part of the end of the podcast club, which means if you have any direct questions for me, you can email me. I'll give you my email address. It's Alain at AlainHumpkins.com. Oh, I love that. Oh, the end of the podcast club. That's great. And a special thank you to previous episode, Todd Churches, who's also based in New York City, where you grew up. I should I like yep. to tell listeners here in We're Western Massachusetts. Queens. Todd and I are both from Queens. Queens. Yeah, so Astoria Queens. was the first neighborhood I lived in there. Thank you to Todd and his uh, thousands of leadership books. I think yours is on, uh, on his shelf in behind uh, him in the episode. And going back to Rob Salafia, also previous episode guest, who was a former performer like yourself on a high wire, though, not on the stage or with a violin. So um, for those listeners who have enjoyed this, those were really engaging conversations as well with some common threads, because that's how I got to meet Ellen today. So thanks to those guys. Ellen, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Leading with Curiosity. Please share, follow, and rate the show so that other leaders can make positive change in the world. Connect with Nate at natelesley.ca. And remember, the brain behaves very differently when encouraged to think rather than told to listen.